The following conversation is intended for mature audiences only. Those under the age of 18 or without a sense of humor, listener discretion is advised. There are all sorts of ways in which we love to do this. Open up the mic. You know what I'm saying? Yeah! Welcome to the Mate Dates Podcast, where we make the dates with our mates as usual. I'm joined by the lovely Bray. It's going to be pretty gaming-centric today, and we'll talk about The Last of Us Part 2, which of course has come out this week. It's been out for about a couple of days, and we will talk about that in the second segment with some minor spoilers. So we'll give you a little uh, preempt here. We're not going to go into anything major, but I think we will cover something like the first hour and a half, two hours of the game, simply because it's kind of important to the rest of the game. So I would say in terms of that segment, uh, before we get to it, listen to it if you have played that far in. If you want to go in completely blind, maybe don't listen to that part until you've played it. But if you've played a little bit of it and you've gotten past the, I would say, the first major story point, that's all we're going to really cover and everything else for the rest of the game. We will keep spoilers out of it. Maybe we'll come back and do a full spoiler cast when we've both yeah. finished it and we can talk about all the intricacies of the story and such. Uh, but for now, Braden, I'm going to say something even more controversial than anything we said on our previous adventures in uh, politics and protests. Star Wars Battlefront 2 is a great game. Is a what? Grape? Great. <laughs> it's, it's, great. A, it's a great game. I love I love eating oh. copious amounts of it. No, it's a good game. It's actually look, I know this is this is this is not a popular thing to say in the gaming community, I don't think, you know, because this game, when it came out, it was, you know, very polarizing had a lot of microtransactions but honestly like it's free on ps plus this month at least for australia and i just got it on a whim i thought you know kill a couple hours and then never play it again dude this thing is actually really good like they actually have developed it to a point where it is genuinely fun the progression is not that egregious it's very smooth uh, you know, in terms of Star Wars, I couldn't give a shit about any of the Star Wars lore, but the gameplay is great. I, I played the original Battlefront back in the day with uh, Sean, obviously, a friend of ours. Uh, we mm. used to play that shit all the time. And it's, way and back in the day. Way back in the day. And it's, and it's actually gotten to a point where it's actually capturing what that original Battlefront game was about, where with all the vehicles and the conquest modes and having all the different classes and then playing as a Jedi and just destroying everything, like, it's finally captured that. Whereas the first Battlefront, I did play a little bit, and it was like a joke compared to uh, this one. And I thought Battlefront 2 was kind of like Overwatch 2, where it was just, like, extra maps and nothing mm. else. But it's not the case. It's actually really fleshed out, and they did it... They, they've, they've finally developed it to a point where it is a really fun multiplayer experience. So that's my controversial cancel statement for the week. I hope, <laughs> I hope it's as, uh, of course, as, as much of a drama as, as defund the police. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you've just flushed out all of the, all the viewers, mate. I, the, yeah, we'll see you later. Well, um, yeah, because this one's got a campaign, right? 
It has. I haven't touched it though. Okay. Okay. That that would probably probably be the part that I do touch. Okay. Funnily enough, like, yeah, I I don't really see anything else changing in the multiplayer besides maps. But I mean, uh, I could be, I'm happy to be completely wrong. Yeah, it's like um, it's maps. It's also um, in terms of like the conquest mode. It's just that like no other game really does that. So in terms of like how it's done, it's forty people basically all in a game but then you also have bots so you sort of have this illusion that it's a really big war going on oh. and it's sort of if you played battlefield right another dice game then you sort of are aware of how that can add to the multiplayer experience in a kind of profound way and just the fact that it's star wars it is done really well so you do play as you know all the different classes and depending on your team it's it's asymmetrical warfare as well so depending on what team you are de- determines your uh, classes and your uh, the the droids that you can play as or the rebels that you play as and each Jedi has their own unique abilities each hero has their own you know unique capacities of movement and gunplay and every class has tons of their own unique weapons that you can modify as you upgrade them a little of the a little bit of the progression sometimes takes a bit long but I think that's the case with all multiplayer games now you just have to accept that like the progression might take a while to unlock all your attachments for every gun and such. But I just thought it was like a fun surprise to just come across this uh, game that I just dismissed completely for a long time. Mm. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Is there any, has there been a game like that recently for you where you just happened to uh, dip in and, and it just sort of captured your interest in a way that surprised you? Um, I guess recently the only game I can think of is maybe Nier Automata being a game that I briefly touched, and it came out around the same time as Persona 5. So, yeah, most of my attention went straight to Persona. But, and which meant I had to disregard Nier at the time, but I've, I've come back to it since then, this year. And, yeah, no, I've been really surprised by it. I thought, it's a platinum game. The combat is amazing. It gives me Ratchet and Clank vibes, but in such a weird way. Like, Ratchet and Clank is your Disney Pixar, but then Near Automata <laughs> is like this, almost like a David Lynch film. Oh, yeah. Or, or a Christopher Nolan. Like, it's just, it's got so much uh, social commentary with it as right. well. Uh, the, the idea is uh, humans have had to evacuate Earth and live just off the planet in this orbiting space station. Right. And their goal is to reclaim Earth because Earth has been taken over by all these robots. And so the environments are very much this green overgrowth. It's really interesting how it's this hybrid of buildings and nature competing for, I don't know, existence in a way. And the the buildings are kind of just subservient, I I suppose. I, I really personifying the the buildings here but no it, it's super fascinating and and the way that the robots have actually um gained some sort of sentience and uh they've joined cults and it's it's really crazy played it a, a, i played a, a bit of it um for like a few hours and then never got back to it but i remember that being part of the initial uh, thrust into the story is that these robots aren't as cruel or as uh, sort of anonymous as you might initially have thought and so there was a couple of like cutscenes I remember where like you know 
the robot mama was going to the robot baby and you know oh, they, yeah. they, they do sort of portray them as kind of being human like and so that it brings up that question of you know if, the, if these things have emotions how mm. different are they from the human beings that yeah. uh, that sort of kill their lives matter right yeah 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 like, uh, that's interesting as well because uh, in terms of games that focus on that in terms of those sort of themes uh like what was i thinking of there's another game i think i know where you're going with this is this detroit yeah so detroit was similar in that respect too right because in terms of the characters that you play as they're all sort of dealing you, you play as basically detroit just to give our listeners if you haven't heard of this game detroit beyond human beyond human beyond become, hum- become human oh uh, become human <laughs> oh fuck i'm you're confused right. now beyond sounded right the well beyond the other one right yeah yeah, become. Yeah, um, right, right. <laughs> Bloody we David Cage and all these. Detroit Beyond Heavy Rain. <laughs> beyond the Rain. So Detroit Become Human is a game uh, basically about these three artificial intelligent characters who have to navigate a world that's sort of dystopian, right? It's kind of like sci-fi, dystopian landscape. And, and the three characters that you play as kind of choice consequence game. So if you're familiar with Telltale or the kind of kind of classic point and click games where you have to make, you know, choices that impact the story, any sort of RPG. It's sort of similar with that. And if you know David Cage, the, his games are all about the the sort of minor choices that characters make, how that shapes the story over time. And that's exactly right. It's a major theme in that game is what does it mean to be human in an era when we have these basically indistinguishable artificial creatures that are basically human with the exception of a little colored ring on their head that indicates mm. that they've been uh, made in a, in a sort of lab but all the there's many moments in that game where it's sort of as, as if racism evolved into speciesism right and you could imagine that that could actually happen in a world where we've transcended race well maybe we create some sort of artificial intelligence and now we're not talking about race, but we're talking about speciesism. We, we privilege the human species above other creatures who have sentience just like ours. And that brings up its own questions about, uh, yeah, like what, what, is, what does it mean to be conscious if all consciousness is, is emotional suffering or emotional pleasure. If an AI is having those emotions, how different am I from them? I, I just have this gooey hardware. They have some mechanical hardware. But what's the mm. difference, right? It presented a lot of really interesting morality questions, especially, yeah, when it's like all, all the... And I mean, I'm going pretty far into the story, so if you've played it, then maybe... Spoilers! But, you know, towards the end, it's like they are... The, the androids are fighting just for freedom, just to live co- and coexist peacefully amongst the humans and to be treated as such. And the humans heavily resist this, and this is where it starts a war and a lot of friction happens between these two parties. And it just, it doesn't even seem, it doesn't seem justified, really. Like, mm. there is some argument to be made i can see the human side where it's like oh we we allow them to have some freedom some rights but to what end and how do we know they're not going to just double cross us because at the end of the day they're just robots so maybe they don't feel but then they do exhibit feelings so i don't know i'd kind of have to trust those feelings to 
steer them on the right path. Uh, throughout the, the story, I, you kind of become more compassionate towards the robots, funnily enough. It's really... It, that that uh, game really changes your perspective on on uh, even just even just humans. Like, we're not at that stage with artificial intelligence yet where they look and act like us, but but even even coming out of that game and, and treating others just... What if everyone else is a robot? I don't know. Right, like, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, it's, exa- it's exactly that, you know? You can imagine a machine that could basically translate uh, Chinese. It could output... You could put in instructions in one language and it could put out the output in a Chinese expression and and the question is how would you know that machine was conscious because if you could see the inner machinery of it it would seem as if you know it's just processing it's just information processing it's just taking an output using an instruction manual to transfer this character into that Chinese character and then so it's it's a it's a continuous stream of if this then that if this then that Mm. and it just follows these instructions but from the outside looking in it does seem like maybe this thing could be conscious because it's doing this process. And so it brings up that fundamental question of you never... Even if a machine... It's like the Westworldian problem, right? In Westworld, there are these sort of playthings, these artificial playthings that become conscious. But the question, at least in the first season of the show, was really like, how do you know? It has all the emotions, but there's really no way of telling... And once you realize that that fact is also true about us, about yourself, like you don't, you have no access to the fact that you have a brain. You have no access to the fact that you are, are doing all these unconscious neural processes at all, all, at every millisecond of your life. But are we not conscious? Well, no, because we like to, we want to reserve that term for us. So, you know, mm. it, it seems like uh, the slipperiness of language becomes a problem here, right? It's like, what does it Definitely. mean to say something is conscious? Well, it means that, that that system has ethical interests in that maybe it has suffering, maybe it has emotions, maybe it has preferences. And this is Peter Singer's point when he puts forth his preference utilitarianism. That's why he's such an animal activist is because clearly animals have preferences not to suffer. Clearly animals have preferences not to needlessly experience pain right like there's so much about farming that we could do without in terms of the factory aspect of it that just causes needless violence and suffering on these creatures and and there's a real question to say you know maybe there's a point to having a cow to breeding a cow to have a happy cow if a cow has a happy life but if we're only breeding these animals to put them to through some systematic torture to then eat them it seems as if in Peter Singer's view, and I tend to agree, this is just massively unethical because these are conscious creatures insofar as they have preferences to not mm. suffer in that way, to not be, you know, a mother a mother cow, right, when it has its calves, they just get them taken away. They just get them stripped away. Yeah. So, so you can imagine if you're, a, if, like, it's not hard to imagine if, if you have children, even if you're a cow, I mean, you have to be a very cynical person to think that that has no impact on the cow's sentience or the cow's uh, emotional yeah state. you must be really self-centered in yeah. that sense right like you're, you're willing to go through all this pleasure of eating beef uh and, and through the through the system of them feeling so much pain and you can imagine that the vast majority of cows would be depressed depression would just be the norm 
in this system of, of, of farming, yeah. But we could imagine a system of farming that did end up, you know, killing an animal painlessly. Uh, and of course, hunting is that, right? To some degree. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm, it's interesting. And right? not killing all of them, right? Like right. leaving some to be able to breed and to be able to continue the species. Not like cows are endangered or anything, but... Um, yeah, thinking about this sort of stuff, kind of, I'm not vegetarian at all, but it, it very much... Uh, challenges your your belief in thinking that you need meat to have a sustained diet and a and a well-rounded balanced diet like that is true to an extent but it doesn't need to be in every meal right like veg- vegetarian meals uh, uh almost give you more benefit because you know it's more plant-based and and that's that's part of the balance as well it's like you're having a whole day of eating plant-based foods and then you can lash out and indulge in some meat every now and then. Right. But you don't have to yeah. go full abstinence on, uh, yeah. on meat. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with that as well. Like the idea that you need to become, I mean, and that's, and that's why it's kind of an activist ethical stance to go full vegetarian or vegan, because I understand yeah. it. It's like a, it's a principle thing, right? It's, it's saying I've seen these videos where, this is going on and I just can't bear to, to participate in that process. And I guess I sort of rationalized my meat eating by saying, well, I'm not sure what abstaining would really do. I don't think I have that much agency in the process, even though the the meat that ends up on my plate certainly came from, you know, these plants and, and all this stuff. So tacitly, I'm sort of a, a, a participant. But I guess I, I think the antidote to that guilt is, is what you're saying, is to do as much as you can to minimize your participation in that process. And I think, yeah, if you're not eating meat every day, that's already a good start. And really, I think the, the change for this has to happen on a political level. Like, we need politicians mm-hmm. who, aren't, who aren't corrupted by the influence of farming companies and businesses to speak up and say, look, and to basically put Peter Singer uh, front and center and say, look, we've, we've made massive strides in imagining that animals have far more conscious experiences than we used to think. And it's, it's time our farming practices reflected that. It's time our treatment of them reflected that in order for our human species to actually grow. Like I think Sam Harris even mentioned at one point on his podcast that it's not hard to see in with, with the lens of history how in a hundred years the practice of factory farming will look a lot like the practice of slavery yeah where where we say how could those people have put up with that how could all of those people have just been okay now of course we're not just all all okay right we many like as we're talking about right now many of us are, are very disturbed by the ongoing torture of these animals but there is something to be said for the complacency yeah, well, okay, but does that mean that uh, work politics and work culture will eventually run rampant and be the overwhelming and overbearing guidance to all our actions? No, I don't. I don't think this is a woke thing. I think this is honestly, like, insofar as this is a woke thing, that's that's been co-opted by, because because obviously vegans have a kind of stigma to them, right? They can't stop talking about how they love veganism. They can't stop. They have to make it known at every occasion, right? That's the stereotype. But I actually do have a couple of vegan family members and I have talked to them about this. And honestly, their motivations are purely just, I don't want to participate in this 
like absolutely uh, glorious violence that that is just enacted yeah. on these on these animals. And like, and I totally am with that. But it's just hard to see from the individual perspective. What do you do? Because it seems like uh, yeah, building a movement doesn't really do much. It seems like politicians have to take l- the lead on that and actually make some yeah. change and actually hold these uh, businesses and and farming companies to the fire and actually yeah. use our moral I'm, knowledge to its to its use because otherwise if it seems like history judges us quite harshly when we don't use our moral understanding with some actual effectiveness in in the real world right yeah i mean i've, I've been reading this um aboriginal book where obviously with the uh, aboriginal australians they were a very nomadic society right and there's a story in that where one tribe figured, oh, we'll just settle down here. It seems nice, and we'll live here throughout the four seasons and not really move with the land like other tribe. And what happened to them was they got washed out. They they experienced storms, I think, and it just it ruined their entire village that they tried to fabricate uh, as a more permanent um, residence. But, yeah, and then, you know, it's kind of the story that's been passed around throughout the tribes um, as a lesson and a reminder to move with the land. A cautionary to... tale, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I don't know, like, you know, at this point in time, we are all very stationary. That's we, what, we that's the that's the thing. It's like, land. yeah, it's like, even mm. if you wanted to do a nomadic kind of living, it's not possible. Like, It's not even plausible. Like, yeah. you have to go off the beaten path. You'd have to, like... I don't know. Not you have to be so alienated from all of yeah. society, and it's that's that's kind of the the point. Like the you know the show um, the Good Place, which was like mm. a a kind of sitcommy, but it was it was cheeky, kind of intelligent. It was it was it was a little bit innovative. It was a, kind of cheesy and sitcommy in all the ways yeah. that you know Big Bang Theory is is just a complete. The premise is interesting. You die yeah. and then go to this place that yeah the premise the is, bad is place, interesting right? absolutely but, but one of the um central premises of season three i think it was season three was basically that there is no proper there, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism in in the current incarnation because like the way they the way it kind of played out was that you know because in the show you get to the good place by having like a positive point value in terms of all the good things you've done in your life but no one could get to the good place the good place was essentially empty because you know joe would buy a bunch of flowers for his mom's birthday but those flowers were picked by some seven-year-old in africa who was paid some terrible wage for you know nine hours of work it's like it's like even though we tacitly participate in this process we don't actually feel like agents who can who are genuinely causing it to happen and nor do we feel like we can actually fundamentally change it because we're all such small entities in the larger system right and and so that's when my sympathy for the systemic arguments actually do does come into play i do think there is something to be said for making fundamental systemic changes to capitalistic structures but i just don't think the best way to do that is to burn the whole thing down and to upend all of mm. the structure that we have, right? I'm not sure how no. to fix the factory farming problem. It's what will our children think? Like, what, what kind, what kind of world do we live? To, do we leave to our children if this is, if this is permissible to just treat animals in this way? And look, I mean, the contradiction and the hypocrisy. Like, we all have dogs, we all have cats. We don't beat the shit out of them. We don't 
put them through the same torture we put through the cows and the sheep and mm. the pigs. So, so what is that hypocrisy? Why does a dog get a great life and a pig gets a terrible life? When a pig is actually quite, we're discovering neurologically, quite intelligent, quite, a, quite an interesting creature from yeah, perspective. It's, it's all on the premise that, what, pigs taste better and they make worse <laughs> pets. They don't suit our lifestyles. They're dirty. Yeah, exactly. They, well, yeah. I mean, dogs are dirty, but pigs are dirty. I'm pigs can't fetch. That's the stereotype, and that's, you know... But that's fine. Um, look, we've done a, a few 20 minutes or so there. We Should we take a break and then talk about The Last of Us Part 2? The elephant in the room. Welcome back to the Made Dates Podcast. In this segment, we're talking about The Last of Us Part 2. And again, it's your last chance to get out while the getting's good. Uh, in terms of the spoilers, because we will, we will, of course, be spoiling a little bit of the game. So we're assuming that this is ideal if, if you've played basically the first two hours where the, the first major story point is, uh, is, is brought forth in the game. And we will be covering that. So this is your last chance... If you want to go in completely blind, which which I understand, I typically do that. I didn't watch any trailers or nothing. I did have one thing spoiled for this game, as I mentioned when we brought it up last time. But uh, this is your last chance. So three, two, one. See you later. No no holds barred. Okay. Last of Us, the original game, told a story about uh, Joel and Ellie, two characters that traveled across uh, America in a post-apocalyptic uh, landscape where... It's basically zombies, but it's not technically in the game. It's a kind of infection, a, a virus. I wonder Ooh. if it's uh, just a bit of future telling there with uh, the current pandemic Ooh. we're in. Uh, but it's basically, the first game tells that story, and it's a very good story about a man who loses his daughter and then finds uh, a new kind of love in Ellie, his kind of surrogate daughter that he adopts uh, throughout the story. And you get to see how that relationship evolves, and that kind of is the crux of the first game. And it ends on a note where Joel saves Ellie from being killed by uh, a renegade group called the Fireflies, who are basically trying to kill her because she's immune to this plague. She's immune to this virus, and they want to use her DNA to try and make a cure. But the only way to do that is to kill her. And so Joel ends up... This is the ending of the first game, so spoilers for that as well. But that's like seven years old now. He, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. <had> time. <laughs> no, no apologies for that. He ends up killing 
uh, a lot of fireflies and the second game starts immediately at that point so we're, we're reminded of what happened in the last game and maybe we should start here because the last game has quite a stark ending in that respect it's quite sudden and it's quite dramatic so i wonder maybe before we dive into two uh what did you think of the first game and, and the ending then and how it yeah. how it builds and, and and just how you know what were your sort of overall impressions of that yeah especially in the last of us i mean any uncharted didn't really compete with the level um that the last of us was able to bring um in terms of just plucking the strings of your heart you know and so it it didn't yeah it it didn't quite sit right with me it was like is joel a bad guy mm. like, you know th those questions naturally came up because he stopped ellie from participating in um uh inventing a vaccine that was going to save humanity and was going to change the course of the human race at that point and so yeah it was and that's the thing with um with just the environment itself it's like the environment in which they grew stronger and and their bonds grew stronger is is one where life and death is literally around the corner like the matter of life of life and death is is in every kind of action and decision and for them to have kind of needed each other but not initially liked each other at the start very much resisted doing any of that like Joel was was um pitted uh to take Ali across the country like he said and just through that and they they grew a lot stronger Ali also didn't really have any parents uh, I think they got lost a while ago and so she was kind of in need of a father figure as well so it was just just this perfect storm of them needing each other and they didn't realize that until they had to fight their way to get to the hospital where it all culminated and you know at, at no point did they really understand that Ali was going to lose her life for for that so it did it didn't quite sit right I guess yeah Joel especially Joel's lying. He should have just told her straight up because it's obviously messed with her. Um, well, just to build off what you're saying there, like it, it's interesting because it didn't sit right with me originally too when I put my mind back to 2013. And I think you're, you're touching on exactly why it doesn't sit right because you spent the whole game building this trust with, with Ellie and you essentially violate that trust at the end by telling this white lie, um, which is that Joel tells her that he didn't kill all the fireflies he doesn't admit what he did he tells her that no they actually had dozens of other people with infect with uh who were immune to the infection so they didn't need her and essentially i think what you're touching on there is that he denied her the choice right yeah so and yeah exactly because she was unconscious the entire time he made the decision for her it just yeah it didn't didn't quite sit right especially his lie at the end and it wasn't even really a white lie because it had so many consequences on her mentality you know her uh belief in what happened at the hospital kind of made her who she was and and so he denied that of it he denied her the truth and yeah so so and that's important to know just because the second game starts basically right there and and these questions mm -hmm. come up in the second game too 
And so without giving too much away, it's important to understand that though their relationship does maintain, there is this kind of elephant in the room with respect to the fact that she does deeply suspect that something is off about Joel's account of what happened. And so the second game starts with essentially a recap of that, and we get to play as Joel for the first 10 minutes as as basically just going through the landscape. And this is where the the biggest spoiler is going to come in for this podcast here. Joel does end up being killed in the first two hours of the game, and this essentially sets up the rest of the game. And so we're not going to go any further than that with spoilers, but Joel does get killed by another group of people who we don't actually know who they are when when he does get killed. We don't actually know who they are, what what they are about. And so let me me ask you then, so, so just generally looking at the game as a whole without going into the story just yet, or if you want to, feel free. Um, what, what do you think of it so far? Has it lived up to your expectations? Is it the game that you were waiting patiently seven years for? Big question. And obviously, I have to just premise uh, the fact that, especially because uh, I'm more of a PlayStation gamer, Just uh, th- there's probably some bias that's going to seep in, but I- I'll try <laughs> my best to temper that. Oh, please. Um, <laughs> um, I-, I love it. I think it's it's great. I mean, you know, people love to throw around the goatee, uh, as soon as <laughs> they get an inkling of it, like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, this could be Cody. I, I can do that. So I think, yeah, I think it definitely could be. Um, but to call it Cody and all this, it's just like a, it's all jumping the gun. And, you know, we really need to sit with what we have at this point and um, to really weigh it up. Um, the year's not even over, anyway. And what is Cody even, really? Like, every game gets a Cody edition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think it has. Like, in terms of living up to my expectations, yeah, it's been seven years removed, and I don't know what my expectations were, honestly. But did not expect Joel to die in the first two hours. That's for sure. That was a real Game of Thrones moment. I, I felt like, especially in the in the first season of Game of Thrones. Spoilers there. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a spoiler cast. <laughs> The minor spoiler cast that I hope you've seen a lot of things. I mean, Game of Thrones, <laughs> the first season was 2011, so... Yeah, look, come on, come on. Time. Yeah, no apologies. You've had your time. You've had your time. But yeah, so so Ned dies in the first season, and he was portrayed to be the, the main character, and same for The Last of Us. Joel was portrayed to be the protagonist alongside Ali, the, the crime-fighting duo, in a way, crime-fighting Ali. What's, no, what's yeah, crime yeah. in this yeah. world, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Um... I think it's the story, uh, like I've said to you, and I, I am pretty close to the end, um, 22 hours in. Uh, I do feel like it is closing up. I, I'm in a completely different spot. I mean, okay, so that's more mild spoilers. Let's see. So it's so much more non-linear than the first yes. game. The first game just seems like uh, it runs off and, and the story beats kind of... Yes. Makes sense. It's it's the God of War type story. You just got to get to the top of the mountain, right? So, um, yeah, in the first game, it was, let's get to the hospital. In the second game, it's four years ahead from the last, from the first part. And I think it does a, an excellent job in, in closing that gap, in, in tying up all these questions that we, we've had for seven years. And to really see that play out, it it really speaks to my 
my craving for just it's almost like a fan servicey type game especially at the start you know lots of drama all that sort of stuff it's um it does seem like you know obviously you wouldn't be playing this if you hadn't played the first game and it does start out slow i do see that point it can um i i was just briefly looking at reviews hmm. um and and impressions across the internet and yeah. that's what a lot of people have been saying it, it's really? very slow what do you think about that did you think it started out slow I actually don't think so at all. I, I because Joel. That's why I mentioned Joel dying mm. is because uh, just what you're saying. This is a story about Ellie, and and that's why I think it's 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 been, like I think that's the perfect way to set it up. Honestly, like I I I, I see what you're saying because a lot of people were saying as well, especially like after the, the people who were streaming, and I saw a couple of clips where, you know, that moment happened, and they just reacted in a way they were like, oh. No, like not fair I want him to be alive it's not fair he should he should have got like I, I love this argument he should have gotten a better death it's like <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what that is but um, I, I actually thought the game was quite engaging maybe maybe mm. it starts off slow in the sense that because you start off in Jackson um, and you're just sort of doing your drills I actually think those are my those are those are the parts of the game that I think make it captivating because like the first one the last of us really plays with your heartstrings and sort of constantly seducing you into these intimate moments of human mm. affection of, of mm. really like whether it be finding uh you know a museum or whatever it is like you, you go into yeah. these places where it, it removes you from the horror of this world for just a brief yeah. sliver of, of time honestly you've hit on a really good point and i think that's what makes the last of us so special yeah it's because there is a, a plethora of zombie games out there and all you're doing is shooting zombies and, you know, you're inside, okay, and then you leave. It's like a dead island. You know, you leave and then, oh, okay, this is true, right? So it's just, it feels so monotonous and kind of dull because of it. But yep. I think, yeah, Last of Us just builds up all this emotional energy within the, the player and it does it through these moments of just intimate coziness of this, like, just innocent curiosity that comes from Ali, who didn't grow up in normal society. She grew up in this uh, post-apocalyptic world where everything was ruined already, and she had no idea. She has no idea what normal kids would have got up to, a school life or work life, nothing like that, because she was born just that little bit too late, I suppose, and it's just, it's these, yeah, wonderful, like, awe-inspiring moments where you're going into a museum that has been... Uh, partially destroyed and overrun by zombies but they're not there anymore and you know yeah it does create this space where you're able to really uh, appreciate the little things i think it, it really points to that absolutely it's social commentary that i feel like is is very prevalent throughout the whole thing 100 percent, i think that's right mm. and and the reason why the death of joel is perfect is is because it starkly reminds you of that horror right like the the, the beginning of the mm -hmm. game was you know you, you have a snowball fight you sort of uh, go into a, a weed lab where you just sort of forget about all the problems in the world and immediately you're brought back into the reality of what this mm -hmm. world is and your father figure yeah. your mentor is taken away from you in the most brutal fashion imaginable uh in, in that you 
uh, again, spoilers for this part of the game, but you, you're too late now. Um, you actually play as the character that kills Joel. And uh, and that, for, for me, right, again, I think part of it is that you want to give the player some reason to... Like, like I viscerally felt that, that... Like, the second she did that, when, when Joel saves her, Abby, this character, and then mm. she uses that opportunity... For whatever her motives are, I'm unaware of her motives yet. I'm sure she has some rationalization. I'm sure Joel did some fucked up shit to her. Blah, blah, blah. We shall see. You are smirking and I'm sure you know. Uh, but <laughs> but <laughs> that's, that's for the next one. But um, just just that moment where they, they inste- instead of, you know, maybe changing their view because, oh, he saved me. Maybe, maybe he's not the devil I imagined him to be. She and her gang of, of plebeians... Uh, murdered him and it just like that I can't explain how much I I said okay well I'm in I'm killing all of these fucking people and I'm gonna love it because I felt it right like the vengeance that is supposed to be motivating the story I felt immediately because like it reminds you of just the horror that this world is there like there are no heroes right like regardless of how Ali sees Joel he's not a hero he's because he's done many fucked up things in his past and mm. just like everyone in this story there's there are no heroes in this world in the sense yes. that no one is morally perfect it's impossible to be morally perfect in a world that demands you to be ruthless and violent and or bloodthirsty mm. so i wonder did you did you share that because i i was quite surprised to see uh, that that is surprising to hear that a lot of these outlets think that the start is slow i thought it was a great introduction to, to, the, yeah. to the next one look it, it does seem weird and these allegations come from a place of impatience almost it feels like like it's like oh because because inevitably it does get compared to the first part um you know, we kind of think back, oh, what was the first part known for? Well, it was these great gameplay moments with a lot of heavy-hitting emotion and, um, you know, just unrelent- unrelentless kind of, yeah, plugging of the heartstrings. And, and it doesn't quite start out like that. And the first part starts out, you know, 2013 game again. But yeah. it starts out with Joel's daughter dying very like viscerally and just very very raw and these emotions are are portrayed and invoked amongst the player amongst anyone who's really watching that and you know a a tear is likely to race your eye and so the first the the second part here doesn't start out in the same way maybe expectations were out of whack right i think that's that's probably the cause of it the crux of it there they think, oh, you know, starting out a lot slower. Um, it's what is this teen drama, that sort of thing. So, but yeah, like uh, from what I've seen, a lot of people say stick with it. The second part, it, it gets a lot better, it ramps up. But you know, this, there should be no pressure for Naughty Dog to jump in headfirst right. into this game. It, they have they've spent so long crafting this game to. To not like just throw it immediately in your face. They would, the way they do these things, these experiences, is they gradually start to um, kind of hijack your mind, right? And it, they they gracefully do that and gradually and right. 
their their style is not cannonball into the water. It's more dipping your toes in and seeing how this affects you and that, and then you know, yeah, snowball fight and something very cozy, and then gradually starts reminding you reminding you of the harsh realities of the world that they live in. Yeah, and I I just yeah I I agree, and I think there's um something to be said for the fact that there is this refuge, right? In, even in this world of, of being a, basically a hellscape, there is this place, Jackson, and, and, and just looking around Ellie's room, it's like, oh, she like there is a life that these people have. Um, it's possible. And, and like, I agree. I think Naughty Dog have no... I think even the, the fact that they did so much in the first game, they've earned a kind of ability to step back a bit and to show us mm. the more human more mellow elements of this world and to me it just makes all of the horror more powerful it contrasts more deeply so that's just my view and i think we share that and maybe too many people in the press are just too eager to uh you know yeah have it be very explicit in terms of like feel emotions now yeah Um, just explosive like if that's what you're looking for you've got your call of duties you've got this is not that it's (laughs) not yeah go dead rising or whatever it's like it's not a it's not a horde zombie killer by any means. Yeah, and it's, also it's, these people aren't superheroes. Like the the idea that Joel yeah. should have gotten a, a better death. It's like, well, who did you think he was? Like he <laughs> he's just as a human as any other character in this world, and he's just as susceptible to human resentment and human ve- vengeance. Essentially, that's what that's why he died. And and what's what's it, what what I find most engaging about this story so far is that we're seeing how vengeance is shaping the development of Ellie and and how let's let's talk about the mechanics a little bit I love that they have imported the uncharted uh, journaling thing yeah that's I was, I was wondering if you had noticed yeah I, I like so so just to uh, bring in the people who aren't really gamers or, or whatever every mm-hmm. every video game every RPG has like a codex or a journal where you run into some new plant or some you know monster like Far Cry definitely has this mass effect, right? You run into some new thing, and then it'll be like, oh, Codex added, and you can go read about it. And it's kind of very <laughs> dull. Like, I don't know who looks at the... Maybe if you're very nerdy, you look at it, but I'm, I don't think 90% of people do. But Uncharted 4, I think, did this, and they've imported this mechanic into The Last of Us 2, where the journal is actually written by Ali. And so when yeah. you encounter something new, you'll see her pull out a journal, actually scribble something in, and you can read it, and you can see mm. her illustrations and her handwriting, and it gives you such an insight into her mind. The one that really stuck with me, yeah. just staying on Joel's death, was that she wondered if her being there made it worse for him. And, mm. just, and just that just that insight is like... I didn't see that, yeah. Just Well, it was just so, again, mm. so... Um, it gives you such an insight into the character's mind about what they're going through, and I feel like that's such a profound innovation in the way that RPGs are done and particularly for this game in the, in the cinematic way that they tell stories it really it really lends to the to the atmosphere because you know one thing i would say about the first game that i would criticize is that maybe the gameplay got a bit boring from time to time it got a bit dry but just these little additions add a layer of of depth to the characters that you could only do in a video game right you couldn't do this in a movie you couldn't do this in anything else where you sure. can read the thoughts of a character um, as they live, as you play as them, as you as you take them through the experience, they are actually having some experience. And well, it's a very difficult thing as a video game that is completely comprised of pixels and you know input methods, like to actually um, to actually provoke human 
compassion, right? Yeah. It, that, that is such a difficult task to achieve, and I think they've done it really well. You know, it's all the little things that really yeah. build it up as well. It's the little conversations that they'll have as they're walking around, um, the things they mutter to themselves, and, yeah, it's the, the journal. Like, I love that because, um, you know, our journals wouldn't look the same by the end of the game, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. It's, it's whatever you, you, as the player, have actually come into contact with and encountered. And it's, it, that is beautiful. Uh, the, the, and, yeah, you're right. Like, the fact that it is all handwritten gives it another human element because if you go to Mass Effect and, um, I don't know, the Outer Worlds or something, you run into a plant, you can read about it, but it's all very you know, textual. It's, the wall of text. it's like you've yeah. just Googled it or something, you know, like it's, it's great. And it gives you a lot of information and, and probably more information than the, than the player, than the character would actually know just by looking at it. But yeah, it's this, it's the interpretation from Ali and on, on each individual thing. And, and I think that that brings us into a, to a great point about this game and, and a, a great um, element of it is that it really encourages exploration. I mean, yeah. the first one did as well. Uh, the more you explore, the more resources you'll obtain. And, you know, I'm playing on hard, so the resources are very limited. Um, and you need, really need to, uh, oh. okay. you know, okay. seek it out. So, so um, you know, with the first game, you could be as explorative as you wanted to, but if you didn't have uh, enough shivs for these doors, you, wouldn't, you weren't able to enter them. And to craft a shiv, you needed the resources. And so I'm, I played the first one recently, and um, it, it became a bit frustrating at times. You know, I was playing on a harder difficulty, so the resources were a lot more scarce. But right, um, just getting to this shiv door and not having a shiv or the resources to use one right. to craft one, I and I didn't really use that many shivs either. Like I wasn't even the enemy. I was I was uh, holding them and harboring them just for these doors and and so in the in the part two i feel like they've almost addressed that uh, well i don't know if it was an explicit uh problem that a lot of people had but it is this kind of quality of life thing where um and in the first two hours of the game you don't even have shivs the shivs aren't even um uh, mentioned at all and the environment the way they've dealt with it is they still reward you for exploring and there will be locked doors but the way they have gone about it and jumped over this hurdle is that there's always another way to get into like everywhere basically yeah yes. that's what it feels like it feels like everything that's constructed is there for a reason and they're not just making buildings for no reason and just to kind of fill up blank space or something it's it's um it's all very purposeful and you know you find a locked door and chances are there's there's a place you can crawl under and that's another thing you can go prone in this game first Naughty Dog game you can actually go prone in. So this opens up a lot more opportunities to explore and to uh, get into the crevices of of these just half-crumbled buildings and, and doorways and and the glass you can smash. Have you, have you smashed many, much glass oh, in this game? Dude, all, so yeah, all the windows are getting smashed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, now look, that's, that's such a great point. Um, I think the one thing you could criticize Naughty Dog for, particularly with Last of Us 1 and perhaps maybe Uncharted's 1 to mm. 2 to possibly 3. I, I haven't played 4, so I'm, I'm not sure if this still applies. Uncharted 4? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if this, this critique applies to 4. But That's, 
that's where the journals came from though yeah 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 no i'm i'm talking about um what you're saying about the exploration i think one criticism of naughty dog's earlier works is that it was too linear it was too restrictive and so even though they gave this very cinematic adrenaline filled experience that you push the player through it felt a bit too on rails in that respect but you're absolutely i totally empathize with what you're saying because you in last of us 2 you'll you'll go into a new area and it could be filled with enemies or not but the landscape it's, it's like a sandbox it's just you, you mm. can actually just i found this out because you know i i actually didn't realize how slow i was being but there were some areas where you could have just literally ran through, but I spent at least... Yeah, beeline it, yeah. Yeah, you could, but I spent like mm. 30 minutes going through every building and just... And, and what you find is, as you say, the, the conversations come up, you discover stuff mm. to journal about. They have these linear moments where the player has to be on rails. And, and the part that comes to mind is like when you're playing as Abby running through the snow and all the zombies are mm. coming at you, right? Like that segment, if it's very thrilling, but it's totally on rails, right? It, it's like you can't do anything else but what the game wants you to do. Mm. And there's a, there's a very specific path they want you to take and, and all, all the environment is kind of constructed around that to make you go that way, right? And And... And the result of that is is like you're very you know you feel you're filled with adrenaline especially if you play with headphones the sounds like in your ears which is like that that's very thrilling but and and, and sometimes i get a bit sick of that because i'm like oh I, 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 sometimes when the rails are too palpable you kind of feel that right but yeah. they've they've so brilliantly contrasted those moments with these totally open worlds where you could just explore at your own pace and it's the fact that they've done both. It feels like they really have started to innovate on their own game philosophy in a way that is that is not evident at all in the first game. As you said, the first game did inspire some exploration, but it was primarily mm. for gear, for resources. It didn't have this mm. additional component, this, this kind of added depth where you just wanted to explore because there were areas that the devs have actually made for you to explore they're there they have infected in them their enemies in there but you can discover story elements you can find uh characters that that you otherwise wouldn't even come across right that that's something that is that is very deep in, as far as i can tell so far um and i think that that is a really good point yeah also as well i should mention that in terms of the gameplay it's i would say it's relatively the same with a few uh, additions so in terms of the uh crafting i think there's more there's more elements more stuff gear to craft and more uh, stuff you can use but also in terms of like uh weapon attachments and and upgrading your gear and stuff like that there's more to do there and there's also additional skill trees again getting back to this exploration point if you find let's say a, a textbook on chemistry it opens up a skill tree to make bombs and explosives right like th- that is like such yeah. a a rewarding element to a player like me who does get a bit sick of the on rails components sometimes but feels now oh i actually am i do have some agency in this world because if i if i find this thing i get rewarded um and it's and it's not about finding resources i guess it's it's more about seeing a deeper layer to the world um that that it's not just an it's not just a facade right um, yes yeah. right right no yeah that's really important to uh, keep the agency. It is a game after all, um, and and yeah, and to just it's it all just feels really rewarding. Even this, I love how they've they've not gone with the the classic route of doing like side quests and a hub world. Yeah, like 
I, I love that they just they didn't do that at all. But their version of that is almost like um, creating these stories through you know leftover texts and and letters. Um, yes. That that give the the world a little bit more texture and to allow yeah to just allow different stories to be heard because you can kind of get really tunnel visioned into thinking that Joel and Ali's story is the only one really there but there yeah everyone's in this world so and I think what we're saying here is that The Last of Us Part 2 has a self-awareness that the first one couldn't really have because it was an original game so you know it's forgiven in that respect but clearly they 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 looked at the first game and said how do we play with the players expectations i'll give you two examples that uh go beyond our spoiler territory but don't spoil anything so there was i think one instance where you're fighting a, a boss and the boss has this death animation that you see a couple times probably when you're fighting it and when you when you actually kill the boss it starts the death animation and then a character comes in and saves you. And it's like, it's it's a way to just, like, oh, you think, oh, I've screwed it up again, i got to restart. But then, like, it's 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 playing with that expectation that you screwed up and then actually you didn't. And then there's another one that scared the shit out of me where, you know, you see all these workbenches uh, when you come across them. And there's there was one moment where I go to use a, use a workbench and then, like, you fully get rugby tackled on the side and it's like <laughs> I'm in a venue man this isn't oh, this isn't what's supposed to happen this, I'm, not fair. The, the, this, the, this is breaking game the, ethics yeah the world is supposed to pause when I go into a menu right but no of course <laughs> not <laughs> so it's a living and breathing world it's always going right yeah 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 so that so that was pretty cool I, I love how they're they're aware of that stuff you know and, and they're constantly making you aware that you know you're not you're not playing a game, right? Well, you are, but but like that's that's kind of what they're going for, I think. Where they're really trying to uh, yeah. immerse you in that, in Ellie, in 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 her experience of uh, what's going on. Um, so so maybe talk about the gameplay for a minute here. Uh, like, yeah. how do you contrast the gameplay? Do you think uh, I, I believe the shooting mechanics are kind of the same, but do you notice any fundamental differences, or do do you have any opinion on how the gameplay's changed? I think yeah, it's it's pretty much the same. They they've gone with that realistic type style where the weapon sways and the more you move the more inaccurate you are it all, it all, it all makes sense um and yeah like i don't think they have actually done too much there's a few different guns um well i'm playing on on normal i'm, I'm a normie yeah. so and I'm, oh, okay. I'm having problem with resources normal on normal so i'm very curious to know how you're going on hard in terms of right. getting resources resources and... in in terms of like ammo Oh, yeah, dude. There's been a couple fights where, like, literally one fight where I'm just like, I have nothing. I just have to run through this and get a checkpoint because I can't, I can't right. do anything. Like, so, uh, have you had fights where you've just been totally strapped for anything? Or have you been yeah, pretty good? You, you can look around. You know, if you've got a brick, at least you can throw it at someone. And then uh, you, you, can, you can generally trust that your melee will take you there, take you to their death, that is. Um, yeah, and... I don't know. Yeah, I feel like the if you're running out of ammo, then you're probably needing to be more stealthy, right? And to collect ammo through their deaths and through the exploration as well, like uh, as you're going about finding enemies and stuff. So I think that's probably it. I I find that really interesting. Yeah, because I'm I'm playing on hard. I, I have been out of ammo a few times, but not when not when there's like a boss or something. 
uh, that requires a lot of, you know, bullet shooting. Yeah. Um, those those areas and, and sequences are usually carefully designed where ammo is available for you. Right. Um, and, yeah, obviously having a crafted uh, melee weapon is always a good thing. The fact that you can... Um, that's, a, that's actually a, a bit of a change. The fact that you can not only upgrade your melee weapon, say you've got a 2x4 and you put like some scissors into it mm. to make it a, a one-shot kill type thing. Um, if you do that and, and devote some resources into doing that, your durability of that weapon will not only replenish, I think it increases too. So there's actually a, a huge payoff for that. Right, right. And also... Uh the game gives you more options. I don't think the first game had suppressors for guns. I don't think that was a thing. Um, uh, or am I wrong about that? No, I think there was. Oh, okay. I think there was a way to do it. Um, yeah. The, the way they've done the training manuals is very good. The the textbooks you were talking about before? Yeah. Um, before, it used to be you pick it up and then you get an, a new ability, like your smoke bombs last two seconds or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but now, when you pick up a training manual, it unlocks a whole new skill tree. So, yeah, that's very valuable. Very valuable. You should look into that. And, yeah, I, I felt like the medicine was hard to find, actually, in the first game. In this one, it's not, not so bad because, yeah, you can... Exploration is rewarding and not having to rely on those shift doors to give you yeah. the big uh, payout of loot is i heard i heard a streamer call call it loot in the game and i was like i've never thought of that but i yeah it was <laughs> sort of resources not loot loot i think of like borderlands I don't know. <laughs> yeah yeah it's a bit um you know in, in a post-apocalyptic setting you, you wouldn't be calling like two <laughs> two bullets for your gun that has no ammo loot you'd be like i need this it's not this yeah is not... <laughs> right right it's a necessity yeah it's not like Fortnite loot or something nah, yeah nah. Yeah, in terms of the gameplay, so what? They haven't changed much in terms of the fundamentals. But as you said, like, that's the point. It's 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 designed to be realistic. Um, I remember, you know, to- the late Total Biscuit, when the first game came out, that was one of his big gripes that, you know, it was just impossible to shoot. And, you know, his his argument was that it's it's not an excuse to say that you're trying to be realistic, therefore the mechanics suck. On, mm. some, on some level, I do empathize with that, but... If we're talking about just creating an immersive cinematic experience and the gameplay is supposed to facilitate that experience, not necessarily be the most foundational aspect of it, I think it's fine, right? Like, it's something you can learn to appreciate. And especially with the combat, the combat is not run and gun. I mean, you can try and run and gun. Mm. I mostly try to run and gun, but it's very <laughs> hard, right? You're gonna, you, you'll be dying a lot, and I think that's probably why it seems like I run out of ammo a lot more than you do, because I try yeah. to, just, I try to bulldoze through and just be like, yeah, let's get through this. Um, I don't, I typically hate stealth games. I don't have the patience for it, but you do, you can do that. It's just that it's much more difficult because we're living in a world of scar, of, of scarcity and of, you know, and, and you feel that when you're playing it it's like the game is pushing you to play one way but it does allow you this freedom to allow your own sort of um invent your own play style Uh, so let's let's maybe talk about yeah um just before we wrap it up um in terms of where the story's gone so you're you're much further than me what do you think you you said you're, you're close to the end and what do you make of it if if it 
goes in the direction that you're thinking that it's going? Um, is it already something that you're satisfied with? You don't really care how it ends, or are you looking for a, a certain kind of ending? You know, without giving too much away, obviously. What, what do you What yeah. do you think? What do you think? It's uh, that it's hard to talk about without even just um, sinuating. <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard to talk about without giving like anything away. Going in, going into this game blind is the best way possible, and I know that was really hard to do because it got spoiled, oh, yeah. and you know we had to kind of bob and weave through the internet over the last couple months. <laughs> um, yeah, was so was that the main spoiler? The the Joel thing was that actually like was there anything else that was circulating do you know about or no was that kind of it yeah the Joel thing was the only thing I, I got spoiled for me and I think there were other spoilers circulating around but I just I didn't I didn't I didn't even seek out that one it's just I think it was like a yeah. YouTube autocomplete or something where you, you put it last yeah. of us and it says last of us Joel death and it's like oh cool <laughs> oh, thanks, okay. thanks okay. YouTube the algorithms yeah, on social media helping us again yeah okay well yeah like we were saying that's not even a huge spoiler but yeah I, I heavily recommend just continuing with it if you've played the first one if you've been on the fence now's the time you can't jump into this one without playing the first one it won't make any sense at all and you won't get anything really out of it the first one definitely holds up just as well especially the remaster um, with left behind the dlc which isn't necessary to play but it's a nice nice little tidbit um I'm happy with the story. I think. Okay. I think. Um, <laughs> again, I I want to <laughs> say so many things, but I'm respecting not only you but the viewer, uh, the listeners as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, you don't you don't have to say anything um, in detail, but is there a it, way it, that it, the ending could go where you would be disappointed, or or are are you pretty certain that that they know what they're doing and and you're looking forward to however it climaxes? I can definitely I, I can definitely see that people would have gripes with uh, the players' motivations, but without those motivations, the story wouldn't exist. It's kind of like they've they've stuck true and mm. uh, to the consistency of the player of the um, characters' um, drives in the game. Right. Right. Know? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. Uh, so. I didn't really like expect to talk too much about the story. Well, where, but, do, you, where do you want to go? What, do you want to talk about anything else? But yeah, no. I, I just think you know, in terms of what what you were saying, being the epitome of um of any kind of gaming narrative, this is it. Yeah, look no further. You've got it. Right. I can't even think of like any sort of game that can compare to this. Maybe Bioshock. Um, and yeah, like a huge fan of uh, survival horror. I mean, this is. This is it at its peak, you know. Even in the the slow moments, you know the intensity is going to come. So right. it's that contrast again it, that is respected by Naughty Dog, and it does feel like that, right? Like it's yes. a it's a well rounded experience. It's not too heavy on the action. It's not too heavy on the drama. Those games exist. You know, you've got your Dead Rising, you've got your Until Dawn um, to a degree, and, yes, and yeah. so this is the the perfect combination of all those things and it feels like with a lot of games that are similar to this that the developers will focus too heavily on one aspect and with that it leaves out the other aspect so too heavy on the the narrative or the graphics in terms of um what's that game called uh 1886 the order yes yeah 
focused way too heavy on the on the graphics and kind of left out the ga- the gameplay, the actual game. Um, but here, you know, yeah, like you just you get over that hump, over the next hill, whatever that is, and you know, it throws curves curveballs at you. The curveballs are really what keeps you engaged. Right. Yes, it's that yes. unpredictability. Um, I it think that's is. right. And uh, yes, you, you're you're further than me, but I got to say too, like in terms of the story, I think it's all been great. It's all been really well done. I can't think of anything I would critique beyond the potential, like you know, this could just be because I'm a 23 year old male and uh, it's hard to put your mind in a teenage girl. But the the kind of romance is um, a, a bit cringy at times bit a bit too melodramatic and i think that could be as well because it's partially a little unearned you know the the characters do um have some sort of romantic relationships uh, that tend to come out and sometimes it feels like it would be nice if we got to live through the journey of that evolving as opposed to just seeing it already be there but what's interesting is that again going back to the journal in sort of um as you as you alluded to there are flashback sequences you can go into the journal in the flashback sequences and it does give you some backstory as to how yeah, these right. relationships evolved so again they did account for that it's just maybe the pl- maybe it's a bit disorienting at first um so maybe in terms of uh you know how they presented those romantic relationship but then again it is teenagers so you can expect it to be kind of yeah. cringy and and all that it's, but look, it's, it's kind of justified being you know with the with the emphasis on their romant romanticism it's like outside in the in the waking world it's like it's not like that at all it's very non-romantic so the need to have that in their lives is, is reasonable it's probably heightened yeah yeah exactly you know yeah they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, if they're going to live or die. And, and so it's almost like they're living every moment as, as if it's their last. Right, right. Yes. And yeah, just in terms of the general story elements, just I suppose in, in wrapping up, my impression of it is, is I really think they've just done a good job. It, it's, you know, like what would you critique about it? It's hard to mm-hmm. see because, you know, with the amount of resources that Naughty Dog have and with the amount of the, uh, with, with the amount of, attention to detail they've put into it it's like you know any criticism is going to be very nitpicky it's going to be very like inside baseball like obsessive gamer stuff so beyond that you know there's so much to enjoy it's absolutely worth you know your 60 dollars or if you're stuck in australia or new zealand a hundred dollars because games are absurdly expensive. Here. I think it's a hundred and twenty in New Zealand. <sighs> so dumb, man. I don't, it's, it's like it's like games are like some premium commodity here or something. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but um, yeah, I yeah. mean, uh, all the more reason to make your purchases wise. And yeah, this is a wise one. There you go. That's a bit of a mate date for you. Last of Us impressions, and that'll do it. We'll see you on the next mate date. <laughs> your eardrums that are turning vibrations in the air into sound and in that way you are creating the world.